right, lesson 11, authority. Everybody likes this one. I have a lot, of, a lot of fun with this one at jail. But it's a truly one of those, one of those really important subjects. Uh, let me preface everything by saying that uh, a whole lot of looking at the word authority biblically uh, coincides with, with the word obedience. So a lot of the scripture and stuff that we'll look at here this morning really has as much to do with obedience as it does anything else. But it's important that I'm going to start with this first paragraph and we'll get kind of right into it. But, um, well, let's just let me read it. It'll say it. Was that me or somebody else? I need to put mine on. Don't disturb me a minute. When God created the universe, he established a principle to govern it. And that word principle is something we want to try to capitalize on. The principle of authority. God himself is the highest authority. Under God there are archangels and under them other angels. And when man was created, he too was under God's authority. Authority means the right to rule, and here's the kicker, the right to be obeyed. All authority belongs to God because he is the creator of all things. The host of heaven worship him, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are, or are and were, recreated, recreated. Revelation 4. This principle. What is a principle? Somebody help me out. What's a what, difficult word? What is a principle? It's a, huh? it's a moral compass that we live by. Good, 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 good answer. Anybody else? Uh, I went to. I'm ahead of you, so I went to the prince. I went to the trouble to look some stuff up. Uh, a principle is a basic rule or law, a moral or ethical standard that we should be motivated by uh, or that does motivate us. Principles that we live by. And uh, we don't think about that word often yet. Uh, I don't hear it much anymore, but when I was a boy, uh, um, I'd hear it quite a lot in Texas because people would say, well, that's against my principles. You don't hear that much anymore, do you? But the truth of the matter is, I think we ought to kind of capitalize that. I think it's a good word. Uh, but it, it's really, really important for our study of God being in authority and the fact that uh, we're supposed to be under authority. Not all principles are, are really, really good. There is a principle called every man for himself. You ever heard that? What do you, how, how do you think that fits into the Christian life? Not so good. But, uh, there's the principle of self-preservation. Now some of these are, we kind of kind of bump up against and take a, take a pretty good <coughs> look at because some of these things are things that that we've grown up with and lived with most of our life, and we think that they're okay, and some are, but they have some ifs, ands, or buts. 
that we have to look at in relationship to our relationship with God. Um, so it's, it kind of boils down to our way versus God's way. In our society today, we're taught to be self-sufficient. And you know, one of the things, there's goodness in that word, but there's potential for harm too. Uh, Chris and I was talking a while ago about a young man that we're dealing with that just got out of jail a few weeks ago. He's doing pretty good. And, um, and we're talking about the fact that he's gotten himself a job. He's gonna be moving into a place to live. Uh, these are good things. Uh, getting to the place where you're self-sufficient. You paying your own way, doing your own thing. And there's another little kicker word, doing your own thing. Um, <clears throat> Self-reliant. And here's the problem. When we get down to this self thing, we're still dealing with, and I think you've probably seen me draw this as supposed to be a throne. And who's occupying the throne of your heart? Well, if we're not careful in working with these areas of self-sufficiency, we begin to put self on the throne. And that's a problem. That's when we've got the problem. Who's supposed to be on the throne of our life? The Lord. The Lord is. And, and it's, um, there seems to be, I don't want to say a fine line, but maybe it is. <clears throat> but there's an area where understanding is needed where we kind of need to think our way through this thing. Good morning. And uh, so we want to be very careful that we keep God on the throne, that he's the God of our life, and that we're, we're walking with the Lord and we're living by the principle of obedience as opposed to a principle of disobedience. And we'll get to that word in a little bit. It's in Scripture, uh, the sons of disobedience. So we want to come to a place where we understand that God's in control. God's supposed to be the Lord of our life. Yet there are some areas where we need to, and even the Bible teaches us to be responsible, uh, to take responsibility for our own actions. Um, those are all things that are good, but they, they bump up against this idea of self and self-sufficiency. So that's, that's an area for us to be cautious about. Cautious flags need to be up. Um, because if you, get, if you get way out on this self side, then it doesn't take very long to get this idea in your head, well, I, I don't think God, I can do this myself. Um, and, and actually, the people that don't know God are, are living under that principle. And it's, it's really the principle, as far as God's concerned, that's the principle of disobedience. That's the principle of don't tell me what to do. I'll do it myself. And it's such a difficult area, but it's not really once you get... Once you get established in this thing, you begin to understand where you're on solid ground and where you're not. Uh, 
So that's kind of some of the things that we want to want to get here to here. Uh, I'm gonna I want to take you first of all to Matthew chapter five. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I want to point out something a little fun for you. I would have, I see at least one that's not red letter edition. But if you've got a red letter edition, you'll, you'll quickly note this. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> if you have a red letter edition, let's begin to turn the pages and see how far this red lettering goes. Yeah, goes on and on, all the way up until chapter 7, verse 27. From 5, 1 to 7, 27. Ever heard a long-winded preacher? Jesus, Jesus was in gear. And if you really read this, boy, did he say a lot. And you won't read it real quickly. Uh, so him speaking, him saying this. This was a long sermon, and there's a lot in it. But, but we want to capitalize on something here right in the beginning. <clears throat> One of the things that's happened here, and I, want, I should preface it with that too, is to say that when Jesus did this Sermon on the Mount, he already was having quite a gathering. He had done some things, and people were beginning to follow him. He had worked some of his miracles, beginning with the wedding at Canaan and so forth. He had healed some people. He had done some things. He was drawing attention. And so when he went out and sat down on the side of uh, this mountain where he uh, did what's called the Sermon on the Mount, there was a lot of people there. And one of the things we need to recognize is that these people were familiar with and living under the law. And the people who were dominant in their day was the Pharisees. They were, you know, there was the sect of the Sadducees and there's the governing body called the Sanhedrin and all of that, but basically they were living under rules carried out and enforced by the Pharisees. <clears throat> the Pharisees were very big into self. It was pretty much like it is today. It was, it was the culture that they were in. So here's Jesus, and we want to catch some of this. He says, verse starting at verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pause right there. I, I go to a guy named Charles Stanley, and everybody pretty much familiar with Charles Stanley. Solid. Solid man. Uh, Jesus began with this startling truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. To be poor in spirit is to be utterly dependent without the means to help one's self. Let me repeat that. And he's correct. This is a, this is a correct statement from, from Charles Stanley. Uh, but he's absolutely correct in this. To be poor in spirit really means that you're dependent, really a dependent person. Um, 
what's a word that I'm looking for a word um, what's what do you call a person that's really uh, dependent on other people for everything uh, insecure that's the word insecure. very insecure so so we might say here and then that the traits that you'd see in a person that's really poor in spirit would be insecurity uh, they're very dependent on everybody upon everything and Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people that have been taught their whole life to be very independent and he says blessed are those who are very dependent blessed are those who are poor in spirit Jesus is, and I'm continuing to read from Charles Stanley, he says, Jesus' message is still countercultural today. Since our society encourage us, encourages us to believe in ourselves, to be self-reliant, no one wants to be considered weak and helpless. In fact, we're often proud of our independence and our self-sufficiency. Catch this. But such autonomy will never work in the spiritual realm. What we really need is poverty of spirit and complete dependence upon Almighty God because we can achieve nothing, catch this word, of eternal value by ourselves. Now, going back to our buddy that just got out of jail, <clears throat> hopefully if he's got his mind where I would want it to be and if we, and <laughs> help me muddle through this with you guys is that um, when, we, when we get where we need to be then we'll see that we, we need to be sufficient in paying our bills putting a roof over our head going to work every day these are godly things God wants us to do God doesn't want us to sit on our can and wait for somebody else to come and feed us then uh, we're, we're encouraged to stand up, do what we're supposed to do. But we're not there when we're trying to put a roof over our head and pay our bills and food on the table. We're not at that point in our life and our day-by-day -day existence trying to build something of eternal value. You following me? To build something of eternal value we have to realize that we can't do it by ourselves. We have to depend on God. Furthermore, we even come to a place where we depend on God to give us the health, the strength, the willingness, and whatever other adjectives you might put on there to be able to get up and go every day. Some people don't feel well. They still have to go to work. Some people have physical disabilities, and, and sometimes some people live in pain, uh, but they still get up and go to work, and they depend on God to help them with that. Their prayers are, God help me make it through another day. So the idea here is, is that we come to a place where we understand what's being said here in the opening verse when Jesus, he opens us with this long sermon that we, that blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they're dependent on God. And, and if 
we're going to get to where we really need to be in our relationship to God, we need to come to a place where we realize that in and of ourselves we can't really do anything, especially that has any eternal value. That we come to a place where we're dependent on God. Now we come over and I'm going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to get over to this, this word independence. I'm, I'm sorry, obedience. Get into the word of obedience. Um, let me uh, let me skim through some of this other stuff here that's said up here about authority. Uh, it's important to note. I've read the first two paragraphs. Skip down toward the bottom of the of the third paragraph. It says we've studied how Adam's rebellion was just that—a spirit of rebellion against authority. He said in his heart, I will do what I want to do. Then the sad news from Romans 5, 19, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By the rebellion of Adam, sin entered into the world, and Adam passed his rebellious nature onto the children and to the whole world. Thereafter, rebellion became a principle in the heart of man. The Bible says we have turned everyone to his own way, Isaiah 53, 6. This is why the Bible refers to unsaved people as the children of dis disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2. Let me, let me bounce back over here to my notes for just a second. Uh, what I have my second note here next is that we weren't designed to be self-sufficient especially in our relationship with God. The Bible is a book of instruction, yet it's full of examples of people going their own way and doing their own thing. And isn't that true? Uh, <laughs> you, you can, with me, just be astonished as you read the Old Testament. If most of you, if you're reading through the Bible, uh, you know, this is the time of the year when we're back at Genesis and Exodus and stuff and we're, we're reading back through this Old Testament stuff again, and it's almost astonishing that the number of people who, who simply disregard God, and I mean, I, I shake my head at the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. Uh, what, what they experienced, what they witnessed, you would think that they would never doubt God. Can you imagine walking through the Red Sea with it? How high was it, would it have been on either side for them to have walked through that and to witness that and to then think that you're going to say to God, don't tell me what to do. Just, it just kind of blows my mind. But then beyond that, as you go on in and you get into the families and you start getting into the heritage and you start getting into the the descendants of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and so forth, you get, you get to wondering, you get to scratching your head, what, what are these people thinking? <clears throat> they didn't have what we have. One of the things that we have that they don't, they didn't have, this might blow your mind a little, but we have within us now, because of Jesus and the cross, we have, as Jesus, remember Jesus said, I'll send you a helper. We have the Holy Spirit living within us 
to guide us and direct us, to help us, uh, and under, help us understand, to help us have faith, to help our belief. They didn't have that. They didn't have that luxury. And so they went off track pretty easy. But they consistently did, and that's one of the reasons why. Though it, it, it became a, a book of instruction. The whole thing really is about a, a instruction. Now, last paragraph on that page before I get to the other one. I want to see. <clears throat> Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, I, let, me, let, me, let me move back up to see where, see where it says just at the top of that part there. It says the failure of Israel. Later, I'm going to start there. Later, God chose Abraham to be the head of a race of people who would be called God's people. God wanted a people who would be obedient to him in the midst of this rebellious human race. You reckon he still wants the same thing. He wants a people that will be obedient to him. Abraham is known for his great faith, but he was also a man who obeyed God's authority. God said of Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, Genesis 18, 19. Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It was God's purpose that his people be obedient to him and establish his authority on the earth. Catch that. If, if, all the way along, they failed at this. But what God was really trying to establish through these people was that he would establish a people that lived by the principle of his authority. Yielding to God, turning to God, depending on God. Um, time and again, you'll see uh, these leaders depend on themselves and what would happen. They'd go out and go to battle and get the heck kicked out of them over and over and over again because they're depending on themselves, being self-reliant. And so God's trying to teach them to be dependent upon him. And there's another little kicker comes in here. The next sentence, God intended that through the nation of Israel, all people on earth would come to know him. Know him, know him, know him. Jeremiah 9, 24, which is one of my favorites, you know, and it says, let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. God wants us to know him, to know him. And that's one of the reasons, too, why, why he capitalizes on trying to show us his love. So, in other words, he don't, he's not wanting us to be obedient to him out of this ugly fear. Although there is a term with the fear, fear of God. He wants us to be obedient to him because we know he loves us. And that by loving us, his rules are designed not for him. Why does he give us these rules? He, he's not giving us rules to live by for his own good. He's giving those rules to us for us to live by for our good. And the question then is why? 
because he loves us. And the, so the whole thing is wrapped up in this thing uh, about God loving us. We can turn the page. Um, I'll lay this down. I didn't build this right. I should have had something different up here. The obedience of the Son. God created angels, and many of them rebelled against him. He created man, and man rebelled against him. He chose the nation of Israel to be his people, <clears throat> into the, but the people of Israel rebelled against him. Then in the fullness of time, God has sent his Son into the world. We know that the Lord Jesus came to die for our sins, but he also came to reestablish the principle of obedience to God. Jesus said, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Um, let's, let's talk about that reestablishing uh, this principle of authority. Jesus, when he, when he began his ministry, and this, this Sermon on the Mount is right at the beginning of his ministry, What's the first thing that he's doing there? He's telling us how to live from, from the get-go. He's beginning to establish rules to live by. Blessed are these and blessed are those and do this and do that. And if you read that long dissertation, that's from, from Matthew 5, 1 all the way through to 7, 27, um, <laughs> you find that all the way through, he's setting out principles of obedience, setting this thing out, that we understand that the way to a happy, joyful, productive life is a life that's in obedience to God. That's the whole kicker. That's what he's doing, and that's where we need to be. See, and here's where we get away from it in Christianity. And, and, and boy, you have to be careful here. And you'll hear me do this again and again and again. And that is to say, we need to know and be careful that we're not believing or preaching or teaching that you can earn your right to be reunited with God. It's a gift of God through Christ who shed his blood. So that salvation then is not something we have earned. It's fully, completely, and totally a gift of God. And I like this little terminology, and it kind of, I think, puts it where it ought to be. And that is that through this then, through the fact that our sin is put on him, and as we talked about the double imputation, then that his righteousness is put on us so that we can now approach the throne of God and we have this reestablished relationship with God that, that we, we can see then that we can, through the help of the Holy Spirit and through our good conscience that we studied about, which is also a gift of God, begin to understand the principle behind the principle, which is to give us a good life, to give us happiness and joy and peace that we live, learn to live by this principle of obedience. So when, 
when Jesus says <laughs> his whole ministry like is two-phased it's in one part of his ministry he's heading continually to the cross but in another phase of his ministry he's teaching from the beginning to the cross he's teaching and teaching what he's teaching us how to live and he's teaching us that that the way to live is an obedience to God He's, in the, he's the authority. He has the right to rule. He has, he's the creator. He has, he has every right to be an authority. And really put it in good old terminology, if we had any sense at all, we'll be obedient to what he says. And that's, and that's where it's at. Um, we had some young people in here a couple of times, and I was really kind of hoping there would be some young ones in here today. Um, because they're at the threshold of being influenced by this world that wants them to go their own way. And we as adults, and it's not just parents, all of us need to be parenting um, when we know other young people to teach them, no, the way to a, the way to a happy, joyful, productive life is to live a life that's in obedience to God. A life that begins every day with saying, God, tell me what to do. God, show me what to do. God, lead me, lead me on paths of righteousness. Um, it's, it's such an important subject. And it's, it is one that's avoided a lot. A lot of a lot of guys don't want to get in that pulpit and start talking about obedience. <laughs> Not what a lot of people want to hear, and yet it's vitally important to us. This principle of obedience. Here's another thing. Uh, Jesus said, I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. We don't think of this often enough, but our prayers are more about God being there to serve us than about us being there to do his will. Think about it. When we pray, most of us, most of the time, now, maybe just about every face that I'm looking at in here is an exception to what I'm going to say because I, I think I know you people and I know your hearts and I believe that your hearts, every one of you, is you're looking to God to show me what to do. You're, you're looking to be obedient to God. You're looking to love God and do what it is he wants you to do. But our prayers are always so full of God do for me. Aren't they? We, we continually are asking God to do for us. And I just want to point out that it's, it's equally as important to say what Jesus said, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. And uh, I can tell you that this thing that's going on with me now, I'm getting this ministry established and we're wanting to go in new directions and different directions and God's leading us here and leading us there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience to see God doing things. For instance, we had decided since there was so much positive response from this Christmas thing that we did, contacting families of inmates uh, to see if we could step into their life a little bit to supply a little Christmas for 
the loved ones of an inmate saying, you know, even though your inmate, your family member is locked up, uh, we're coming on behalf of him to say he, he, he still loves you. He wants to give you a Christmas present. We want to do that for him. I began to get the idea, you know what? These people were receptive us to us to the point that we might begin to do something. And that is that uh, if we could work with these families to lead them to the Lord, to get them established as a Christian family, get them involved in a church, get them living the Christian life, then when the inmate, whether it's a husband or a son or whatever, comes out, He's got a Christian environment to go to. And I'm, and I'm dealing with and thinking about the men that we have, that we're ministering to. Well, the first part of our ministry is we're leading them to the Lord. We're trying to, through, the, through this same course, get them to a place where they're walking with God. And if they can, can come out to families and begin to walk with a family that's also walking the same walk, uh, the chances of them staying out are a whole lot better. Well, just a second. As we, be, as we have then started contacting families to see if what they think of this, would you be open to the idea of attending a Bible study or a support group that we will start? Would you be open to the idea of having it in your home? You would be surprised. It's like God was there first. <laughs> So we're, we, we think we've had this great idea. It wasn't our, our idea at all. God had it in mind. He just finally planted it on us. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Roxanne. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to say that, um, you know, initially when I started taking this course, it wasn't the thought behind it wasn't just for myself. It was for the, that exact same reason. So I took the initiative to do it myself. You know my circumstance. Yeah. Um, I have a loved one that's incarcerated. Yeah. And we have a child together. So I didn't just come to take this course for Roxanne. I came to take it for my child. And for him. And, and for his father so that as he takes the course, you know, in, in jail, that I will have taken the same course. We have the same information. And we can walk together. Walk exactly. Right. That's where I'm wanting to go. So get everybody. Get, get everybody. <laughs> get everybody on the same page. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> here's a here's a little kicker. Going back to this idea of us always asking God for things. I don't know where I got this statement. It's one of the things that I have. I've got a whole long list of what I call wise sayings, and. Um, I, I hand them out every once in a while and I keep adding to it. When I hear a, a, a something said that I think is remarkably wise, I write it down. Here's one. If I assume that God exists to make me happy, I won't understand his plan to make me holy. Now think about that for a minute. Okay. How does God make us holy? I go back to the refiner's fire. The way God makes us holy is that he works with us, and it's not always pleasant. Why? Because we're not easy students. And if we were easy students, he wouldn't have to put us in the fire. But unfortunately, some of us are pretty stubborn, and God has to cook us some 
to get us to come to the place where we are then living up to our standing. Remember our standing in our state at our lesson six? Our standing is perfect. What's our state or condition? Not quite. Not quite perfect. But God is always working with us to help our standing, our way of life, our daily life, come up to this place where we match our standing, which is righteous, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ put on us so that our standing before God is perfect. And that's back to the same thing. If you're a child of the king, you have an obligation to act like it. So you, you, you grow and grow in grace. You, you grow to this point of being obedient. <clears throat> I'll read a little bit again. About the middle of the page there on page two, it says Jesus lived his life on earth under authority. We don't think about that often, but he did. Therefore, he has been given authority. He has become the head of a new race, the children of God. The people who are to live their lives according to the principle of obedience. <laughs> we don't think about that often. But see, Jesus came to establish a new race, a new race of people. And what's, what, what is this new race? The children of obedience as opposed to the children of disobedience. There's that word. There's these words we're dealing with, authority and obedience. Now, let me read some of these two principles in the world. <clears throat> Number one, the principle of rebellion, which is the principle of Satan. The principle of obedience, which is the principle of Christ. And every person lives by one or the other of these two principles. The principle of rebellion, I will have my own way, or the principle of, of obedience, thy will be done. The basic principle of the world is rebellion. Ephesians 2, 2 speaks of the spirit that works now in the children of disobedience. Skipping down a little way, says, this hard attitude of rebellion against God and his authority expresses itself in lawlessness and the Bible says it will get worse as we approach the end of the age. Um, throwback, I couldn't help but put this side note in there. And that is, uh, so why do you figure there's a need for us to minister in jail? And as we're peaking, I'm going to be talking to you pretty soon. You may be back, in, you may be in jail for sooner than you think. Uh, we've got something coming on. Uh, but you see, this hard attitude of rebellion against God and his his authority expresses itself in lawlessness. It's no wonder that our jails and prison all over the United States are full to, full to overflowing. <clears throat> we got some good time left, so I want us to be able to, to turn the page. There's some good stuff over here. Anybody want to say anything or say a question or anything up to this point? I have this tendency to dominate the conversation. Yes, dear. Um, I have a question, and I don't quite know which book it's in, but doesn't God rebuke rebellious witchcraft? Stubbornness is the sin of idolatry. I'm not understanding. Would you say uh, it's... Doesn't the Bible, doesn't God view rebellious witchcraft? Oh. Um, Stubbornness is the sin of idolatry. I, I would be hesitant to put that term on it, although, yes, that's certainly true. 
the spirit of rebellion is certainly promoted by Satan. Okay. All right. So then, yeah, that that would be true. Not as witchcraft's not a subject I really. I know, I understand that, but I think there's a direct scripture that says that, so I'm trying to understand. You know, there may be, Roxanne, I'd have to look that up. I don't know. Does scripture say stubbornness is the uh, sin of idolatry and rebellion is the sin of witchcraft? Well, that that very well may be. I can't argue that. It could be. Page three at the top says, because we have the Lord Jesus living in us, we have the, the power to obey God. But here's the thing I don't want us to see. Our obedience is not automatic. It was not automatic in the Lord life of the Lord Jesus. And, and it's a little thing we just kind of need to take a look at here. Uh, <clears throat> remember when Satan took Jesus and took him out into the desert for 40 days to tempt him? Uh, what happened there? In each case, you see that Jesus makes a choice. He had, he had the right, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man, and as a man, he was given a choice as to what he would do. Satan tempted him with, don't you want to do this, or don't you want to do that? And I'll give you this, and I'll give you that. And we see Jesus making choices. He chose to say no to Satan. He chose to show Satan the reason why he was saying no. He quoted scripture to Satan. He, but he, he exercised his choice. His, his obedience to God wasn't automatic. He had to choose what he would do, and he chose it for his whole 33 years. There's Jesus never sinned. There's no even hint, much less a recording, of Jesus ever doing anything wrong. But all the way along, as he made choices, he chose to live by the principle of obedience. And we must choose to live our life by the same principle. The Bible says, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, I've got myself a note here to, to read a little bit there from Philippians. Let me go there. There's some good stuff in this little passage. Um, Philippians chapter, chapter 2. chance to get there okay I'm going to read verses uh, 5 to Philippians chapter 2 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and catch the words here, guys, and became what? Became. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that word became there, just, it's just a kicker in what I'm saying about choosing. 
he became obedient. The obedience was not automatic. He wasn't just automatically obedient. He also, as a man, was given choice. He chose to be. He became obedient even to the point of dying on the cross. You know, that's no small thing. Uh, I, I saw something the other day, came across Facebook, and some things you've got to check out and see if they're actually true, but I did enough to think that this was true. Um, a man who was a, uh, I'm not sure what position he held, but anyway, I'll say a Bible teacher uh, in Iraq, <clears throat> Christian man, and, and teaching whatever he was doing. He was, uh, had a flock. And because he continued to teach Christ after they told him to stop it, they, they arrested him and gave him a choice and told him that if he would disavow Christ and pledge allegiance to Muhammad, they would let him live. He chose Christ. They beheaded him. This happened sometime in just the recent few weeks. <clears throat> that's, being that's being obedient. And, that, and, and I don't think we think of it often enough about how that played out for Jesus Christ. You know, and you, if, you, if you really read the Gospels now with the, with the knowledge that, uh, that Jesus knew where he was going, and you get him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, it, it doesn't say all that he prayed about when he went back and prayed and gone long enough for these guys to fall asleep three different times. <clears throat> but it does say, the, the terminology from the Bible is, if, if you can, if there's another way, take this cup from me. And now what we all, what about this man that I just talked about? Wonder what went through his mind during those last hours. I, I would have expected he would have been saying something like, God, knock them all down, throw open the gates. God, do something. Nevertheless, and I expect that's what he said to Nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Obedience to the point of dying for what you know is right. And I, I'll, there's more here. I could go into some more, but I think right there's a good place for us to just close for or a couple of minutes yet to go. But do you see here the important importance of, of obedience that... Uh, as Christians, this is, this is what should set us apart from the rest of the world. The thing that sets us apart, this is difficult. One of the things that the world sees of us is that we worship and we come and we sing praises to God and so forth and they're aware of that. But I think that the thing that the world really needs to see is a whole bunch of people that saw, call themselves Christians being obedient to what they know. 
And it kind of goes back a little bit, too, to what we talked about last week when we was talking about, or a couple of weeks ago, it was last week, when we was talking about conscience. That when a person would bring an offering, and Jesus mentioned it in chapter 25, I believe it is in Matthew, uh, that when, when you bring an offering to the Lord and there remember that something's wrong, go and fix what was wrong, then come back and make your offering. I, I think that that's where we ought to be a whole bunch in our Christian life. We, we, ought to, we ought to be listening to our conscience. We ought to be striving to do what we know to do. And one of the things that's there, and I guess that's where I originally wanted to go with this, was um, that it, it implies that if you come to make an offering and you don't know that something's wrong, well, then basically you're innocent. But when you know it, that's when you've got to fix it. So, so the idea is, is that, that we, we let our conscience be our guide and, uh, and that we live by this principle of obedience. Uh, things are going to come in our way every day. They constantly do. You know what? I think I, 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 the Bible don't say we're going to have this privilege, and I don't think we will. <laughs> but I think there's a whole lot of people that agree with me when I say that I wish on the day when God throws Satan into that lake of fire, I really would like to be there and kick his butt on the way in. <laughs> cheer. Huh? And cheer. Yeah, and cheer. Because he is such an awful adversary. And, and you know, and we go back to these beginning chapters in this course and it talks about him being an adversary in two ways. He's the adversary of God because he'll lie to us about God. Makes him the enemy of God. He's trying to undo everything that God does. He's God's enemy. But he's also our adversary and every time we get on this path where we're trying to do good and we're we're walking in the path that where our hearts telling us by the way that's the dwelling of Christ in there that that this is the path that we ought to be on Satan gonna come along and wrinkle that any way he can he's awful but that's then where we need this thing that that causes us to say I'm gonna be obedient I'm, get from me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Yes, dear. Um, I was just going to throw in there that since you've been talking about the obedience of Jesus, I actually use a Charles Stanley um, like principle study Bible. Yeah. And about that, he says, we never grow out of our need to obey God. Obedience always remains a part of our relationship with him. Jesus was the son of God, yet he continually named obedience to his father as his number one desire. Praise God. Now, that, thank you. That, now that's kind of where I think, I wish I'd have had those words because here's, here's the thing, too, that that ought to be our number one desire. I've got something else written down here that I, and I don't know where this came from. It's from my notes from a long time ago. Obedience is the true test of our love for Christ and the secret to discovering God's will for our life. Obedience is an essential part of the Christian faith. 
Jesus himself was obedient to the death on the cross. I don't know if I can explain that, but I think there's truth in this, and I don't know where I got this, probably from Schofield or that group of guys, you understand that that's where I studied. I, when I, because I go back into the 80s when I was really doing my in-depth study. So I was in the Schofield course uh, because he was friends with D.L. Moody. I read a lot of Moody um, and, and other preachers and scholars and so forth that was popular in that day. Is one who, so I don't know where I got this from. Um, really what it says from the top, I read it says, while the Bible places strong emphasis on obedience, it is critical to remember that believers are not justified, made righteous by our obedience. Salvation is a free gift of God, and we can do nothing to merit it. True Christian obedience flows from a heart of gratitude for the grace that we have received from our Lord. And I will say this through what I've been teaching here this whole lesson. I should have been capitalizing that on that. I'm glad that I didn't go back and read this because... Our, our obedience should be flowing from a heart of gratitude uh, for what he's done for us. And this this thing about discovering God's will for our life. Obedience is the true test of our love for Christ. That's an important statement of, in and of itself. And the secret to discovering God's will for our life. I, I think that the only way that I can capitalize on that or emphasize that Again, it's to just say the way it is for, for me. Um, I hate to say, and I don't believe that I did, that I disobeyed God in any way after the pastor where I worked died. And, and the elders of that church would not ordain me because of my time in prison. I, to this day, I think they were wrong about that, but I didn't rebel against that. I didn't, I just took it. And, and eventually then that, that led me back to driving a truck, which is my only really lifelong occupation. So I went through 20 years of not doing what you see me doing now. I didn't, have, during that time, I've got to tell you honestly, I don't, I don't remember a time that I ever felt God was reprimanding me for for driving a truck instead of being in ministry. I don't remember being ever thinking I was being pulled to go do something different. The years just passed. But when I walked into that jail to see that young fellow that I told you about, and I clearly in my heart knew the message from God was, this is where you belong. And I immediately then immediately began to move in that direction, began to move back. And that's been almost four years ago, three and a half years ago, and, and here I am today. So discovering God's will for my life really had to do with an act of obedience because when I heard God say to me, this is where you belong, then I, I wasn't long after that, I quit driving the truck. Anyway. Sometimes we need 40 years in the desert. You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. I hate it when you're right. Bill just takes it. It's important to tell guys, and I need to close, but and it, 
next week are going to be talking about obedience to others. Uh, we we do have we do have authorities that are over us. If you don't believe it, let the blue lights come on behind you and see what you do. <laughs> uh, but I do want to emphasize that this is this is so important that that we when determine in our heart, determine in our heart that to the best of my ability, to the limit of my knowledge, I'm going to obey God.